This is an encore presentation of one of our favorite episodes. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Your Best Writing Life, an extension of the Blue Ridge Mountains Christian Writers Conference held in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. I'm your host, Linda Goldfarb. Each week, I bring you tips and strategies from experts in the writing and publishing industry to help you excel in your craft. And I'm so very glad that you're listening in today. Today, we're going to be talking about eliminating passive voice. My industry expert, one of my favorite people, is multi-award winning author Diane Mills. Diane is a best-selling author who believes her readers should expect an adventure. And I will tell you, she lives what she expects out of others as well. Her titles have appeared on the CBA and ECPA bestseller lists. They have won two Christie Awards, the Inspirational Reader's Choice and Carol Award Contest. Diane speaks to groups and teaches writing all over the country. We are blessed to have her here with us. Welcome, Diane, to Your Best Writing Life. Oh, hi, Linda. I am so excited to be a part of your podcast today. We're talking about one of my favorite topics, and this will be so fun. It is going to be fun. Anytime I have you on, we have an element of fun, so I like that. So, Diane, (laughs) I kind of consider you the queen of eliminating passive voice for our writing. So I'm excited to have you here to tell us about that today. Well, thank you very much. Let me begin by reading you a quote from William Zenzer, and he says this, Verbs are the most important of all your tools. They push the sentence forward and give it momentum. Active verbs push hard. Passive verbs tug fitfully. I love that quote. Oh, I do too. And I get such a visual in that pushing of the active verbs. And then the tugging is like, like, yeah, we're trying to make this work and it's just not happening well. (laughs) Not at all. As we go through, we have several points that you're going to make today. So I'm going to just kind of lead you into the point and then I want you to run with it. You say the first point is that we need to use strong nouns and active verbs. So share what that looks like. Strong nouns are are those subjects of our sentences that uh, help the active verbs pack a punch. We want to make sure that our nouns are exactly what they stand for. And 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 that's that's pretty easy for us writers. What becomes the problem is when active verbs are substituted uh, for passive verbs. So let me begin by giving you a definition of an active verb. And that means simply the subject does the acting or performs the action. Very, very simple to say, but not always so simple to apply. I'd like to give uh, the listeners the advantages of an active voice. And one is it is clearly expressed. An active voice clearly expresses uh, what the subject is doing or performing. Active voice is brief. 
active voice engages the reader. It it includes them. It invites them and teases them to be a part of whatever the manuscript is. Active voice is more descriptive. It is interesting, and it expands the writer's vocabulary. So those are the advantages of an active voice. Now, let me give you the definition of a passive verb or a passive voice. And I use those two words, voice and verb, intermittently because they basically mean the same thing. But a passive verb means the subject is being acted upon. Another way to consider passive voice is the subject receives the action. So the problems with passive voice are as follows. You will hear that passive voice just contradicts all the advantages of an active voice. Passive voice is wordy. It's often confusing, often telling. You know, the the critical... Um, Oof, the critical comments we get from our manuscript is often, oh, it's it's telling me instead of showing me. And passive voice is often a part of it. Notice I said often, and I've said it three times, and there's a reason. Because every grammar rule is to be applied. But understand that there are always exceptions. And I will get to that in just a little bit if you're... Listeners are thinking, well, when can I ever use passive voice? Just hold on to your reins a little bit. I'll get to it. Another problem with passive voice is that it leads into an information dump. Think about a dump truck pulling up in front of your home and just dumping out stones, dirt, debris, nothing you can use. Passive voice means lazy writing. And it often makes the subject of the sentence look very, very weak. So the remedy, and Linda, the the, uh, remedy is simple to state, but it's not always simple to correct. I knew you were going to say that. I knew (laughs) you were going to say that. But that's all right. You're here, so you're going to help us. You're going to help us out. Yes, I'm going to do my best. To change a sentence from passive to active, determine who or what performs the action and use that person or thing as the subject. In other words, we're going to flip that sentence. And um, I have a couple of examples here. In fact, I have three instances uh, that show passive sentence can be the best choice. Remember, I I said, hold your reins. There are a couple of instances in which that happens. Number one, the passive verb or voice is okay when the writer needs to downplay the action. For example, I'm going to give you a, a sentence here. Trial and error are necessary. And mistakes are part of the process, but the answers will come by not giving up. Now, that's an incredibly long sentence. Some may even view it 
as confusing, but it is correct. The second example is when the writer needs to downplay the subject. And here is my example. A half cup of flour and an egg were missing from the cookies. So we're downplaying the subject because what's important is what was missing. And number three, when the subject isn't known. For example, the survivors are those who escaped the gunman's bullets. We don't know who those people are. So when the subject isn't known, it's correct to use passive voice. That was a big tip, number one. Are you ready for number two? I I am. And I'm going to let everyone know Diane has in the show notes the tips to eliminate the passive voice. So you can write a little bit of notes if you want to, folks, but we do have a tip sheet that you're going to be able to have with you. So listen and really kind of draw this in as you're walking, as you're on your treadmill, whatever you're doing today, wherever we are in your ears, know that you will have a resource that's going to help you tie all of this together. So this is a good part of why we need to use strong nouns and active verbs or the active voice. The second tip that you have given us, Diane, is establish the subject does the action. So how do we do that? The best way for me to explain that is to give you three examples. The man raced after the dog. Now, we can see that. That's a visual. We may have done that. It is an active sentence. In contrast to passive, the dog was chased by the man. It's rather boring, long. Uh, It takes the emphasis off the man who was racing after the dog. Example two, the active voice says The man fell on the slippery ice. Passive, the slippery ice was why the man fell. Again, a little boring, a little wordy, a little confusing. Our third example is active. The horse threw me onto the gravel. Oh my goodness, I, I can feel that. The passive form I was thrown by the horse onto the gravel. Uh, Again, boring and a little wordy. So are we ready for number three? We are. And those are perfect examples because when I look at it and I see how it's condensed, it keeps me moving forward. And yes, that's really great. So number three, you say avoid to be verbs and the word by, B-Y. So take us there. Okay. To be verbs are state of being verbs. They describe the verb following it. And there are three main ways to use be or state of being verbs. Number one, as helping verbs. We learned this in grade school, if you'll remember, to help us understand when actions happen. She is running. She was running. And that makes the sentence very passive. As linking verbs to link or connect the subject to additional information. 
I am tired. They are sports fans. Understand that whenever you can substitute the word is or was with equals, then you have a linking verb. Now, while linking verbs are not passive, they can be better instructed. For example, if I said to you, the man is tall, man equals tall. The verb I used, the to be verb was is, was is. Boy, that's really passive. And while that's correct, it's just a little bit boring. What if the writer said, instead of the man is tall, the man towered in the doorway? And see, that shows you that the uh, the man is definitely tall because we can see him towering in the doorway. Hmm. And number three, to construct the passive voice, which is when a sentence subject changes from the agent, the doer of the action, to the object. And again, it's what we've talked about. It's passive. So the other word that is a real clue to the passive voice is the word by. Here's an example. I was told the grammar rule by the teacher. Ho-hum. How about we flip that to an active sentence? The teacher told me the grammar rule. Very, very simple, easy to understand. And that is tip three. Avoid the two B verbs in the word by. Well, now you tell us that we need to consult with two programs that you like for assistance, and there are online tools. Why don't you talk to us about those? One I'm very familiar with, the other one not so much, so I like learning a little bit more about that. Okay. I am a big fan of using online tools and apps to help me become a better writer. And in our time together today, we are talking about active and passive voice. Within the the show notes, I recommend Grammarly and I recommend Pro Writing Aid. And I have links to both of those for the writer to explore. But these two tools will help the writer and point out when a passive voice is used. Now, I believe you use Grammarly, right, Linda? I do. I've been using Grammarly for several years. I have it where it's on my browser. It's on my computer. It picks up on every, it even picks up when I'm writing an email to someone. So I do like Grammarly. Well, I want to tell you that uh, Pro Writing Aid, which is my favorite, uh, does the same thing. So the writers just need to explore and uh, determine which one is best for them because they both do the same thing. It's just personal preference. Are we ready for number five? We are. Number five. You, You say that we need to change the order of sentences that use the word as because this often signifies a chronological problem or passive sentence. Walk us through the as aspect here. Okay, will do. And, you know, using the word as, uh, as, an, as an editor, 
I find that this is really a common problem. And I always point it out. And here's an example. I tripped as I walked up the stairs. Now, I don't know about you, but I've got to take a step on those stairs before I can trip. That shows me that the sentence is chronologically out of order. It also makes the sentence passive and a little confusing. The best way to write that sentence is, I walked up the stairs and tripped. That's simple. There's no passive verbs there, and you know exactly what happened. I have a second example of that. I was out of bounds as I threw the basketball. Oh, my. What can we do with that? Because you've got to throw the basketball before you throw it out of bounds. Or does it mean that the one who threw the basketball was out of bounds? I'm all confused. So to rewrite the sentence, I threw the basketball out of bounds. There's no confusion. We know exactly what happened, and it's in an active voice. So I encourage the writers to have like a little alert button in your brain when you go to write the word as and see if it's appropriate. Okay, that was number five. You did good. Number six, you say search for adverbs and rewrite to reflect strong nouns and active verbs or the active voice. Okay. You know, adverbs tend to be just a tad on the lazy writing side. And while they have a place and they have a purpose, and we all studied them in school, be on the lookout for those L-Y words and where they are in your writing. And here are a couple of examples. Number one, I walked quickly past the burning house. Okay, I, I get that. But if we want it to be more active and to get rid of the adverb quickly, how about this? I raced past the burning house. Ooh, that tells me what I'm going to do. Another area that our adverbs drag down our sentences is when they are used to describe a dialogue tag. For example, you are in trouble, she said angrily. Hmm, we have an adverb there. What what can I do to get rid of that adverb and make this sentence more active? Here's my solution, Linda. She pounded the table. You are in trouble. Is there any doubt that the she is angry? Of course not. So often just simply picking up on little clues like an L-Y word can get rid of that passive tone and make our writing more active. And that was number six. You did good. I like, there's a reason why you're on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Number seven, revise sentences to place adjectives, if needed, before the noun. Show us that one. Okay, Linda, I have two examples for number seven. The bright light blinded me. Now, while that is not in itself a passive sentence, and bright describes light, which makes bright the adjective, 
But let's look at that sentence to see if we can make it even more active and more powerful by stating, the headlights blinded me. Linda, if you've ever been driving at night and somebody has their headlights on, it does blind you without having to say that they were bright. So that's Mm. example number one. Example number two, the light, bright, and the blinding light stole my vision. Oh my goodness, it was light. It was bright. It was blinding, stole my vision. Okay, I'm, I'm even concerned about what the subject of the sentence is. And again, the headlight blinded me. And we get it. We understand what is going on. Again, we're not using passive verbs, but we are making our sentences more active. Are you ready for number eight? I am. Number eight, you say reword sentences and phrases that begin with it or there, T-H-E-R-E. Oh, my, Linda, I see this so much. I read it. uh, I see it in my editing. And at times I use it and have to go back and edit it out. But what I mean is this. Here is a, a sentence that begins with it. It is a letter about his father's debts. Okay, what can we do in that passive sentence to make it stronger and eliminate the word it? Here we go. He received a letter about his father's debts. Okay, now what about that other word, that other little weasel word there? (laughs) Uh, Here we go. There was a letter on his desk. Hmm, how can I get rid of that? How can I get rid of there and was? A letter lay on his desk. Very simple, very simple. And so that is number eight. You're giving us clarity. I mean, truly, this is the craft. You're giving us clarity for each one of these. And thank you for sharing the examples because that allows my head to wrap around, oh, I think I'm using a lot of colorful adjectives, but I don't need them. Just get to what it is to help the reader see what it is that you want them to see. And it's so nice to know that a letter lay on his desk. I like it <laughs> because I know exactly what, you, what you're talking about. Number nine, you say focus on deep POV, which is point of view, and immerse the reader into the subject and action. Okay, this is a favorite of mine because we hear a lot about deep point of view. And deep point of view takes the reader on a deeper journey, a deeper adventure into what is being said. And the best way to get my point across here is to remind the writer to avoid using the sensory perception and move straight to the subject and action. For example, I tasted the lemon on my lips. But if we said the lemon tasted bitter, that gets rid of the the I tasted and focuses on that deep point of view. The lemon tasted bitter. The reader knows whose point of view we're in 
before the sentence starts, if the writer's done their homework. So when we eliminate the I tasted, it moves the writer out of the picture and focuses in on the subject. The lemon tasted bitter. I have a second example. I saw the hawk before it swooped down and grabbed the rabbit. Okay, there's nothing really wrong with that sentence, but we can make it more powerful and deeper and engage the reader by writing it this way. The hawk swooped down and grabbed the rabbit. Now, I can see that versus trying to figure out, okay, where did where did the pronoun, the I person, see that hawk? So the hawk swooped down and grabbed the rabbit is using deep point of view and making your sentence more active and powerful. And that was number nine. I like active and powerful. Very, very good. All right, number 10, you say speed up pacing. This is one of my favorites, and I'm going to use you as my example, Miss Linda. Let's say that you and I were doing a live workshop with audio and video, and I said to you, Linda, while I'm talking for the next 15, 20 minutes, I'd like for you to stand here and jog in place very, very fast. <laughs> and you say, okay, okay, she's taking me to lunch later, so I'll do this for her. And so you just keep racing away, and I'm talking, and my 15, 20 minutes go to 30 and 40, and finally I stop, and I begin to ask you questions. Now, Miss Linda, you're a little out of breath. Are you going to answer those questions with long sentences, or are you going to pack a punch in every word you're able to breathe out? Mm. I will mm. probably be punchy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Fast action requires short, punchy, one word or phrase sentences. And when you are able, when I say you, you the writer, you the listener, are able to speed up the heart rate and make a sentence more active, what do you think that does to the reader? They are in this adventure. And they're going to be feeling sorry for you, Linda, and probably not so happy with me. But what can I say? But that is number 10. Just speed up the pacing. I like that. And then we have number 11. And I like that you're bringing this to our awareness. I think it's, it is going to really empower so many of our writers. And you're going to talk to us about word frequency counter. So tell us about that. Well, I discovered word frequency counter several years ago, and it's one of my very favorite tools, no matter if I'm writing an email, if I'm writing an article, blog post, fiction or nonfiction book. Now, what this tool does, and it's free and it's online is that the writer downloads whatever it is that they want to be analyzed by how many times did I use every word in this manuscript? Think about that, Linda. Every time we use a, and the, is, was, were, L-Y words, 
it is going to print that out to you. It's going to show you, you, you have to print it out. It's going to show you how many times you use the words. It's going to say, well, oh my goodness, you used the word uh, the a thousand times. That may not bother us as much as if we look down and see an L-Y word and we have used that a hundred times in whatever our story or our book is. Or we have used a passive verb extensively throughout. And while it takes a little time to go back through every time that the word was used, and to take an honest look at it to see if the word, excuse me, the word needs to be replaced or the sentence uh, reworded. It is worth it in the long run. And I encourage you to uh, to do this, to use a search and find in your word or your pages, whatever you are using in your writing, and take the time, examine that sentence. How best is it going to engage the reader? And that's when you make your changes, or perhaps maybe you don't. But I I do love Word Frequency Counter, and uh, it is listed in the show notes with where that is found online. And those are my 11 tips to eliminate the passive voice and to make your work you writers, you listeners, make your work more active. I thoroughly enjoy and value being able to share a tidbit of information that may help you, dear friend, become a better writer. That thrills me, just fills me with lots of satisfaction. And you do it so well. And you give us what we need you don't speak above our heads. You talk to us right to our, directly to our writing heart. And we thank you for that, Diane. Oh, thank thank you. you. Thank you. Well, folks, we will have, as Diane mentioned, everything is in the show notes. So you'll have access to that also where you can catch up with Diane, meet up with her, see what's going on in her life, see what's going on in the area of writing, which, of course, I do want to talk about your newest release, Diane trace of doubt. I know that that came out this month. So yes. you've got to be enjoying just hearing from your readers. That's got to be a joy. It is. And I'm very, very pleased with the feedback, with how uh, my story is happening. And it, you know, this story is just a little different, Linda, in that I wrote it in first person. The story mm. just demanded an intimacy of getting as deep into that those characters, the hero and the heroine, as possible. And I'm I'm very thrilled with it. Not every story calls for first person, but this did. But actually, I'll I'll give you just a little bit of teaser of what the story is about. Good. Fif but 15 years ago, Shelby Pierce confessed to murdering her brother-in-law and was sent to prison. She was 17 years old. Now she's out on parole and looking for a fresh start in the small town of Valleysburg, Texas. But starting over won't be easy for an ex-con. So that's my, that's my Shelby. And I really, really value her and 
you know, when I write a story, I become that character. I don't have the same characteristics, the same traits. Those are entirely different, but I step into that character's shoes, just like I want my readers to. Now, my hero, FBI Special Agent Denton McClure, was a rookie fresh out of Quantico when he was first assigned the Pierce case. He always believed that Shelby had embezzled $500,000 from her brother-in-law's account. So he's going to go undercover to befriend her, track down the missing money, and finally crack this case. I mean, he is sure she not only murdered her brother-in-law, but she embezzled this money. And he's obsessed with it. But things will change. And that's where I stop. As they always do. (laughs) That's what puts suspense in Mm -hmm. our writing. So this is good. Can't wait to read it all. This is wonderful. Trace of doubt. And there is no doubt that we will have you back on again. Diane Mills, we just love your input, love what you bring. And every time it is a major help for us to move forward in our craft and to excel and experience our best writing life. So you're exactly who we need to have here. Thank you again, Diane, for being on with us. Oh, thank you so much for allowing me to share with your listeners, with your dear writers. And thank you all for listening. It was fun. Yay, fun. And as Diane said, thank you, friends. Thank you for joining us. And please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review because what you have to say matters as much as what you have to write. This is Linda Goldfarb, and I look forward to being with you here next time on Your Best Writing Life.